Well, there was a Greek philosopher by the name of Epictetus who was born just a couple decades after Jesus' death. Epictetus once said something that I think is pretty profound. He said, wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. Wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. It's a challenging thought for us in our context. We are in the top segment of the wealthiest people to ever live on the face of this planet. For example, uh, even if you are living at the federal poverty line, as our nation defines it. So if you're living right at the federal poverty line, four out of five people in our world are poorer than you. If you're the average North Dakotan, so if your household makes the median household income in the state of North Dakota, then you are in the top 7% of wealthiest people worldwide. 93 out of 100 people are poorer than you. So this idea of contentment and satisfaction is a challenging one for us. Because what we find at play is something so fundamental about our human nature that our wants don't decrease as we accumulate more. I think we've all seen that play out in our lives. In fact, getting more or getting bigger stuff just opens up a whole new world of wants. In our text for this week from the Gospel according to Mark, Jesus reveals a number of things about himself to the disciples and to those who are standing around and to us today. This account, commonly known as the feeding of the 5,000, which is a little deceiving because it was way more than that, culminates in a grand display of Jesus' power and Jesus' provision of his sufficiency, of his ability to make something out of nothing, of his absolute command over the natural world. This miracle is, uh, to the best of my knowledge, and I, I could be wrong, I think this is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. It's obvious that the Gospel writers, as carried along by the Holy Spirit, saw this situation as being more than simply Jesus feeding a bunch of people. There is deeper significance to our text today. And one of the primary questions that it forces in the mind of the Christian is, do I really believe that Jesus is sufficient in his provision? Do I really believe that Jesus provides all that I need? Do I really believe that Jesus is enough for me? Does Jesus really satisfy. Consider the the confident statement of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Is that true? Do we believe that? Was that just a nice poetic platitude or or does Jesus really supply all that we need even the deepest longings of our hearts? Our text today shows us some things about Jesus that go much deeper than simply quieting our growling stomachs. In our text, I want you to notice that Jesus is the compassionate Savior, 
that he is the king of kings, and that he is sufficient and satisfying. If you're able, would you stand for our scripture reading from Mark chapter 6. I'll be starting in verse 30. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. This is God's word to us. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. God, we thank you for this revelation of your power, the compassion and the sufficiency of your Son, Jesus Christ. Strengthen our trust in you. Lead us to find our contentment, our satisfaction in your great love and your great provision for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we think about Mark's version of these events, I want you to notice first that Jesus is the compassionate Savior. We see Jesus' compassion in several ways in this text, but I, I want to mention two specifically today. First, Jesus shows compassion by recognizing the disciples' need for rest. I don't know if that stuck out to you as we read this passage. Jesus shows compassion by recognizing the disciples' need for rest. Look at verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. You may have noticed that Mark refers to them here as apostles rather than the common word disciples. Why is that? The word disciple, you likely know, literally means learner. Specifically in this context, one who learns or studies under a rabbi. But the word apostle literally means one who is sent out. A messenger, an ambassador, 
Earlier in the chapter, Jesus sent out the disciples two by two to minister. He sent them out to proclaim the good news. And so rather than just being learners and students here, they are now messengers and ambassadors. And in the context of our account today, they come back tired, exhausted perhaps. And, and Jesus recognizes that they could use some time to be quiet, to relax, to rest, to recover. This is a gift of grace to us, that our compassionate Savior recognizes a need for rest, a need for quiet. This is, of course, a practice that Jesus himself used a number of times in the Gospels. We see him going off to a quiet place. And God, in his grace, gave us the gift of the Sabbath, which is really an excuse for us to say no to all the demands of life, an excuse for us to say no to everything else vying for our time and our attention to be refreshed, to be renewed. You know, Matthew adds an interesting detail in his gospel account of this. He says that the disciples and Jesus withdrew to a quiet place, not just because they were tired, not just because they needed to relax, but he adds the detail that they had just heard of the death of John the baptizer. Our compassionate Savior is concerned for the well-being of his disciples. He wants them to find rest and perhaps be able to mourn and process this news that they've heard. This shows us much about the heart of Jesus for his disciples and for us. The second way that we see Jesus' compassion on display is his reaction toward those who were desperate for hope. Verse 33. Verse 33 says, But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. These people had heard what Jesus was saying. They had maybe got word of what he was doing. They had been impacted in some way by what Jesus and his disciples were up to. And so they come from all over, from all the towns, Mark says, to see Jesus, to be a part of this. Now this is the moment in the story at which most of us, you and I, would be thoroughly annoyed, right? Like, we're trying to get away, we're tired, we've had a busy few weeks. We just heard of a, of a dear friend who had his head chopped off by the government. Can't we just have a couple days to relax? Peace and quiet. I mean, here's the deal. I, uh, I love you all, but if I go fishing this summer and you all show up there, I'm probably not going to be as gracious as Jesus uh, was in our story. I think all of us can feel that tension in this text. All of us would recognize that we wouldn't respond like Jesus does, moved with compassion. But thanks be to God that Jesus isn't like me, that Jesus isn't like you, that his heart, rather than being annoyed, is moved with compassion for these people because he sees how desperate they are. He sees that they don't, they don't have anywhere else to turn, that they need someone to lead them, to minister to them, to, to teach them, that they're trapped in their sin, that they're longing to be set free. The, 
You know, it's interesting. The word for compassion that we see in verse 34, it's an interesting word. It literally means to be moved in your guts. Seeing these sheep without a shepherd moves Jesus to the core. Jesus is the compassionate Savior. Next, we see that Jesus is the King of Kings. Now, you might be thinking that this passage doesn't say anything about being a king, and at least on first glance, you'd be right. There's no mention of the word king in this passage. So, so how does Mark's account of this miracle reveal to us Jesus as the king of kings? And it all hinges on verse 34. Look at verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. He was moved to the core because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What does that phrase mean? Jesus doesn't just pull that phrase, or, or Mark giving this account doesn't just pull that phrase out of thin air. There's a whole Old Testament backstory to this phrase, sheep without a shepherd, that gives us some understanding of what is, what is going on in the heart and the mind of Jesus. I want to take you on just a, a brief journey through three Old Testament passages that set the stage, that explain and reveal to us what this phrase, sheep without a shepherd, means. Uh, the first of these passages is Numbers 27, verse 17. says, Let the Lord appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So this is a phrase that Mark borrows from the Old Testament. This is the account of God uh, instructing Moses to ordain and to commission Joshua into a role of spiritual leadership among God's people. So that's the first stop on this journey. Second one is 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22 says, And he, speaking of the prophet Micaiah, said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. These words were spoken by the prophet Micaiah, and they were an indictment upon King Ahab, specifically upon his character his leadership, and they were also a foreshadowing of his impending death. Gives us a little more of the context. Now we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And here, so here we have this grand vision from the prophet Ezekiel in which God says that his servant David will be the shepherd of the sheep. That he will feed and protect and care for the sheep. And the only issue is that if you know your Bible timeline, you know that David died four centuries before Ezekiel spoke these words. And so what we see is that Ezekiel wasn't actually talking about King David, but he was talking about the true and better David. 
The one who God promised will rule on David's throne forever. The shoot that would grow up out of David's lineage. Do you see this connection in the Old Testament? Do you see the the beauty of what Mark is bringing to us in this simple phrase that Jesus had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd? It's, It's cloaked, it's immersed in Old Testament imagery and history. This is Mark saying that Jesus isn't just a a rabbi or a teacher. That Jesus is the very one who had been promised for centuries. That while Moses and Joshua and King Ahab and King David all ruled imperfectly, that Jesus will reign forever as King of Kings, as Lord of Lords for time and eternity. Matthew, again, adds an additional detail. Remember, Mark is trying to get to the goal. He's, got a, he's on a mission. Matthew is a little more fluffy with his words. Uh, so Matthew adds the detail that these people were not just like sheep without a shepherd, but they were harassed and helpless. And Jesus comes as the good shepherd. As the shepherd that David himself spoke of, In Psalm 23, that Jesus is the shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures. The shepherd who leads us beside quiet waters. The shepherd who restores our souls. The author of Hebrews picks up on this same connection, this same line of thinking in that great benediction that I typically read when we take communion together from Hebrews chapter 13. Where it says, now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep. We see Jesus as the compassionate Savior, as the King of kings, as promised in the Old Testament. And finally, we see that Jesus is sufficient and satisfying. The crowd gets hungry. The disciples aren't sure what to do about all these people. They have no food to feed them with. And in in typical Jesus fashion, he says, you give them something to eat. The disciples say, yeah, okay, are we going to spend a half year's wage trying to feed these people? And so Jesus has them round up whatever they can find, whatever food they can gather. And listen to verse 41, taking the five loaves and the two fish, And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And he also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Jesus provided for this need. What Jesus accomplished on this day certainly is miraculous. We would all look at this and say, yeah, that's a miracle to take a few loaves and a couple fish and feed well over 5,000 people. But it's not really that much more miraculous than the creation that he's established in which you can plant one kernel of wheat and reap from that one kernel a hundred or more kernels. Or think of a, a kernel of corn. You can plant in the ground a little time, a little sunlight, a little water, and you can, you can harvest 1,500 or more kernels. 
We're amazed at the, at the creative power of Jesus to turn water into wine or to turn a small amount of food into a meal for thousands. And yet he does it every single day around us, providing in so many simple ways and in so many complex ways. Think about this, maintaining the delicate atmospheric balance of elements so that our air has just enough of the right things and not too much of the wrong things. Every day, ensuring that plants have everything they need to do their miracle working of turning uh, carbon dioxide and sunlight into glucose and oxygen. Jesus is the God of all abundance. Think about how different Jesus is than you and I. If you check your bank account this afternoon and it's empty, you can't just say some magic words or wave a wand and fill up your bank account. It doesn't work that way. We can't take nothing and make something. But Jesus is the creator. He lacks nothing. He can take from nothing and create. The earth is his and everything in it, as the psalmist declares. Is there a better place for our hope and our trust? What Mark makes clear in our text is that Jesus' provision is greater than our need. Jesus' provision is greater than that which we need. Jesus is God. He, he certainly knew how much was needed on that day, but instead he made enough for leftovers. He makes more than enough. God's grace and God's peace and God's provision in our lives is always greater than our need. Now, don't, don't hear me wrong. This passage is not saying that God is a, a vending machine. This is not saying that God is a restaurant where you can order what you want, exactly how you want it, and have it delivered to you. God's sufficient provision for our lives oftentimes involves reordering our priorities and realigning our affections. I want you to hear that. God's sufficient provision for our lives oftentimes involves reordering our priorities and realigning our affections. I don't know about you, but that's never a fun process. Having our priorities reordered, our affections realigned, it's usually difficult, it's usually painful, but it's always good. How many times have we, have we told God what we wanted? How many times have we prayed and said, God, I need this, only to find out that God didn't answer our prayer the way we wanted or the way that we felt that we needed? I think we could all point to times in our lives where that's been true, where maybe we felt cheated by God, when we just couldn't understand why God wouldn't see this our way, only to find out in hindsight that once again, God was reordering our priorities, was realigning our affections. But moments like that should never be confused for God failing to give us what we need. Instead, they're all about God showing us where to look for satisfaction. Notice verse 42. This unlikely picnic ended with each person there, thousands and thousands of hungry people eating until they were 
satisfied, where do we look for satisfaction? We can find temporary relief from our soul's hunger in many places. But you will, you will never find relief that lasts, relief that truly satisfies in anything that this world has to offer. Anything that exists here is passing away. If you search for it here, you will continue jumping from temporary distraction to temporary distraction. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Mark's message for us today as he relays this story is pretty simple. That Jesus is compassionate. That Jesus is the good shepherd, the king of kings. And that Jesus is sufficient and satisfying. That he's enough. Whatever we face today, whatever your future holds, whatever fear or sadness controls your thoughts, whatever diagnosis you receive, Jesus is sufficient and satisfying. He will protect you and he will teach you. He will encourage you. He is compassionate to you. He will provide for you. He will sustain you and he will never leave you. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for this beautiful story of your compassion, of your power, of your provision. God, we confess that we so often look for satisfaction in so many places other than in you. We confess that our hearts are often discontent. We confess that we look for peace and hope in possessions rather than in your provision. And Lord, we confess today that our only hope is in your grace in your mercy, in your forgiveness. And so forgive us, O Lord, we pray. God, help us to trust in you more. Give us faith to believe that you really are enough, that you are sufficient for every need that we have. Give us faith to believe that you give us exactly what we need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.